visiting and you don't know who I am, I'm Joel Repic. I'm the lead pastor here at the Gospel Tab, and let me extend my own welcome to you as well. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, you have uh, been with us this morning. We've sung out our hope. We've sung out the truth of Scripture. We've sung out the story that you've involved us in, which is your story. And God, for you, the future is looking good here at the beginning of 2022. Uh, your future is secure, and you have bound us with your future. Our futures are now wrapped up in yours. So our future is looking good, too. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that we live our lives in hope, even in difficult seasons. God, today we're asking that you would make us, especially as we head into a fast, that you would make us hungry for you. Lord, your word says that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. And so teach us today to feed on your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My people, I love you guys. Um, I was thinking about this holiday season, and I just have these snapshots in my mind of the Gospel Tab family, of us lighting our candles in this room Christmas Eve and remembering Jesus' birth. A few days before that, just dancing our heads off here at the front of the church um, for our Christmas party. And then it was just such a special, simple evening to be together for New Year's Eve. I love, that's a more recent tradition for us to gather on New Year's Eve for prayer. We've only done it maybe like three years. Um, but it just means a lot to me to be with you. So thank you for that opportunity. Um, we are going to start a little series on hunger. Um, and, and for obvious reasons, we're headed into a fast, so it makes sense to, I, as a matter of fact, once we're into the fast, I'll be bringing good-smelling foods up here as object lessons. And, um, but it just makes sense to talk about spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst. Hunger is one of the words that's painted out in the, in the foyer on those wood planks that describe things that are important to us as a gospel tab family. And unapologetically, spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst is something that we value here at the Gospel Tab. Can I tell you something? Over the years, um, I've either you know, heard these comments or sometimes they've actually showed up on Facebook and I've saw, seen them. People make these comments that are like, those people at the Gospel Tab, like, they're just like so like into mission and into God. And I saw one person post on Facebook once, like, it's just a bit much, you know? <laughs> And, um, and I can tell you, I understand why I can feel overwhelming, um, but I will never apologize for that as a Gospel Tab family. Um, it is true, we could fast, we could fast, and I pray we don't, in a spirit of pride and arrogance and being better, right? And, and that will mean nothing to God, right? Fast is, fasting is supposed to be the opposite, right? Uh, going low, right? The blessing is down there, you know, like to say at the gospel tab, it's an opportunity to go low. So God forbid that we would fast in a, an attitude of being better than other people. And yet, I think I can also confidently say that apathetic Christianity does not fast. Lukewarm Christianity does not fast. Um, this practice that we enter into with each other is a practice of the hungry, 
It is a practice of the fervent. It is a practice of people who are seeking after God. And so unapologetically, we embrace it, you know, whatever way that looks. And hunger spreads. So hopefully, even if you're not sure, if you're hungry for God, people around you being hunger for God, hungry for God will spark something in you. So this is a value of ours. Now, this series that I'm going to uh, be preaching, I'll probably do three sermons, uh, it's going to be interrupted a little bit, even during the fast, some because of my travel schedule, but also because uh, next week I have a message on John the Baptist. Uh, we'll take a break from this series I'm starting today. Um, I have a message on John the Baptist, and also I'm going to be taking some time to share with you some things from my heart about the future of the Gospel Tabernacle, so please don't miss next week um, some things that I want you to know ahead of our meeting which is at the end of the month. Um, so anyway, but even with those interruptions, we'll spend some time um, during our fast together looking at spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. Um, Jesus gave us a description of the kingdom in his teachings. So much of his teachings was describing the kingdom of God to us, what it looked like when God was ruling, what it looks like when God is in charge. He had to teach us about it because when God is ruling, it's so different than anything that we've ever laid our eyes on here on earth that we don't recognize it. People miss the kingdom of God all the time. This is not what I'm preaching on this morning. I was thinking about this the other day. I, we, I'm, I've missed the kingdom of God plenty of times. I was thinking about this the other day that God, the way he works in the world, he seems utterly unconcerned with a messaging strategy that would make sure that everybody gets it, right? Um, instead, he actually has a way of teaching that spurs hunger in us and makes the hungry lean in to try to understand more, to try to understand more, to try to understand. If Jesus' only concern was clarity, he wouldn't have done so much of his teachings in these parables that we're still talking about and trying to figure out what they mean, right? Um, he just would have told us what it is, right? But instead, he was always using these metaphors, always using these things. And, and, and as he taught that way, he was cultivating hunger in people so that they were leaning in, leaning in, leaning in, right? Um, it kind of sifted his hearers, right? Because those who didn't understand and were hungry would lean in. Those who didn't understand and weren't hungry would just walk away, right? Um, and so even the way God works with us is bringing about hunger in our own hearts. Now, this is what Jesus said as he taught about the kingdom of God. He said this in Matthew 5, 6, and there's a, par a paradox in it. And maybe this is the verse for the whole series, even though we're going to be in the Psalms today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Literally in the Greek, happy are those who hunger. Now, just think about the paradox in that. Happy are those who hunger. Happy are those who thirst for righteousness. And then this promise, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, it is a first sign that the kingdom of God is at work in a person, in a church, in a city. When people begin to experience spiritual hunger and thirst, it is a first sign that we look for, that the spirit of God is up to something, that something is happening that the Spirit of God is moving in a fresh way when people begin to hunger and thirst together. Throughout this whole series, I'm going to emphasize two themes to all of you 
coming from Jesus telling us that we ought to hunger and thirst, that happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And it's just these two things you're going to hear over and over again for as long as I preach this series. That first of all, hunger is cultivated, spiritual hunger is cultivated in the places where our awareness of our need for God is growing. I think I have that up on the screen. Hunger is cultivated in the places where awareness, so keep that word in your mind, awareness of our need for God is growing. And secondly, hunger is cultivated in the places where we have positioned ourselves for God's presence. So the way I could sum up those two sentences is that we experience growing hunger and thirst or we cultivate hunger and thirst for God by awareness and positioning. Awareness and positioning. Awareness of our need for God, of what we don't have, and positioning ourselves to receive what God is giving. Those are two things that we can engage as we talk about what it means to be spiritually hungry and spiritually thirsty. Now, a few years ago, we took time as a Gospel Tab family uh, to articulate an aspirational vision of the church. It was like, here's what we dream the church could be. And all of those words that are painted out there in the foyer, if you go on our website, you can read a paragraph for each one of those words. And for us, it was just stuff that God had put in our hearts and on our lips and in our minds over the years as we talk to each other and dream about the church that God is making us to be. And hunger is one of those words. And here's what we like to say about hunger. I'm gonna have to read it off the screen. Letha, if you put it up there. This is our value for hunger. And you're going to see these themes in it. Spiritual hunger is primarily a posture of receiving the kingdom, is a primary posture of receiving the kingdom. And God promises to fill those who are hungry. By engaging mission and spiritual disciplines, we intentionally cultivate growing passionate desire for God's presence in his kingdom. More than an emotion, spiritual hunger is evidenced by tangible changes in our values, priorities, and use of resources. There is always more of God to experience. Amen? There's always more of God to experience. We'll spend eternity experiencing more of God. There is always more of God to experience, so we position ourselves to seek and find Him. We come into awareness of our need and of the needs of people around us, and we position ourselves to seek and to find Him. Now, for this series, I know of no better place in the scriptures to talk about spiritual hunger and thirst, hunger and thirst for God, than the book of Psalms. And so I would ask you, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 42, but it will also be on the screen. You can get there in your device. But we're going to read Psalm 42 together here in just a moment. Now, a few words just about the Psalms. One thing I hope to do for you in this series is to leave you with some tangible practices that you can take with you to, go, to cultivate spiritual hunger and thirst. Um, we love it when God just zaps someone, right? Why not? Why wouldn't we love that? If it's God, we're going to love it, right? And God can totally do that. And yet we can position ourselves to receive the thing that God is giving, right? We can engage practices that position our hearts, that cultivate our hearts in a direction, that cultivate our desires in a direction. So here's the first practice that I'm going to leave with you today as you think about what it means to cultivate spiritual hunger and thirst. And it's a simple one. Read and pray the Psalms. Read and pray the Psalms. We believe that this collection of poems and songs found kind of in the middle of your Bible in the Old Testament 
was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as such, these are prayers that come from God that we then get to pray back to God. As a matter of fact, we often do in our services. We read out of the Psalms today. A lot of what we sing here at the Gospel Tab is coming from the Psalms. And the Psalms, if you really dig into this collection of 150 songs, 150 poems, the poetry was especially evident in the original language of Hebrew, um, you will find the full range of emotions present in the Psalms. Uh, There's happy songs, but there's also ones of grief. Um, There's psalms filled with hope. There's ones that are mostly lament or talking about what's wrong in the world. There's even psalms of anger um, as the person writing that song or that poem expresses anger towards the situation or the people around them. There's really not an emotion that we experience that isn't found here. I just find the book of Psalms to be incredibly raw and real. And what it means is as we engage these prayers that are from God and going back to God, that we are wrapped up in the thing that God is doing. And if you want to learn to pray, pray these verses. Pray this book. If you want to know how to bring your emotions, whatever they may be, to God, open your Bible to the book of Psalms. It's no surprise that throughout Jewish history and church history, um, Jewish and uh, Christian believers have considered this collection of poems, songs, to be the prayer book of the synagogue and then the church. Um, uh, All throughout history, people who have felt all kinds of things have turned here to figure out what to do with their emotions and God's presence. Um, So I encourage you to spend time in it. It is so shockingly real in its emotional impact that you will find verses you don't know what to do with. It sounds so angry, so despairing, you're not sure what to do with it. But then, when you find yourself in a life situation with emotions that are so real and heavy that you don't know what to do with them and the people around you don't know what to do with them, you will have cultivated a practice of taking those things to the Lord. Do you know, uh, there's a strain of of, uh, monastic church practice in church history called Benedictine spirituality. Don't, Don't worry about it if you don't know what it is. But... Um, The Benedictine monks throughout church history uh, had a practice of praying seven or eight psalms a day, every day, just cultivating their hearts together, cultivating their emotions together in God's presence. So we do a good thing when we turn to the book of Psalms. So today we turn to Psalm 42. Many, many of these songs are written uh, by um, David, who was a warrior, king in Israel's history. Some of the Psalms, we don't know who wrote them. Some of the Psalms, like the one we're going to read today, were probably created for worship in the Old Testament temple, Um, but all of them are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not going to have time to explore every part of Psalm 42, but I felt like to do it justice, we should read the whole thing together, all right? As a matter of fact, I wasn't planning on this, but can you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? And can we read this together on the screen? I'm reading out of the New International Version. But since this was a song lightly written for worship in the Old Testament temple, let's connect our story to that story and read it all together as Jews and Christians have for hundreds of years now. We're reading a poem that Jews and Christians have read together for hundreds of years. Let's read it together. You can follow on the screen. 
As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you, land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen. You can be seated. As we were reading that, as I was hearing you read it, I I just had a memory come into my mind. Um, uh, Over a year ago, in November of 2020, um, we buried a young man from our community who lost his life to violence, his a funeral service was here in this room. And it was one of those moments for me, just talking about the, how real the Psalms are. I remembered as we were preparing for the service, and we knew it was just going to be a heartbreaking thing, um, I remembered that there are this whole set of Psalms crying out for justice in response to acts of violence. And it's interesting, as far as I know, an arrest still has not been made in that young man's um, death. We're still... Uh, waiting um, for the story to be told, for justice to be served in the way that the world would define justice. Um, And there's a psalm for that. That's why I'm telling you this. There's a psalm for that. It's like whatever you're facing, there's a psalm for that. And I remember uh, a lot of times uh, I was just telling someone recently who I was kind of training in just being with families in those places of funerals and stuff like that. Very often I turn to psalms in funeral services that are familiar to the family, even to people, like for instance, even people who are unbelievers often are familiar with Psalm 23. So it's very comforting for them to hear the words to that psalm in a time of their grief. But I just remember in that service thinking, we need a psalm that hits the nerve of this emotion right? One that's crying out to God for justice in the wake of violence. So no matter what you're facing, there's a psalm for that. Now, this psalm is about spiritual hunger, but actually spiritual thirst. 
We can talk about hunger or thirst. Our value, we say hunger, um, but in Scripture, these metaphors are obviously, for obvious reasons, very closely connected, spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. And this is really a psalm about thirst. I want you to notice something in this psalm, in the tone of it. It's one of the reasons I wanted to read the whole thing together. You can see it in verse 1, as the deer pants for the stream of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. The picture here is of a land that's experiencing drought, and a wild animal, a deer, is trying to get to water, and is panting because it cannot easily find water because of the drought Um, Hunger is a hard thing to experience, but thirst is a terrible thing to experience. Um, We can make it, we can tolerate hunger a lot more than we can thirst, even just on a physical level, right? We're doing a 21-day fast, meaning that some of you will choose not to eat for those 21 days or will cut out certain foods for those 21 days. Nobody here is going to do 21 days of not drinking. And if you are, please talk to me so I can <laughs> tell you what's up. <laughs> All right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not going to work, right? Um, we can't make it very long being thirsty. Last night, uh, I was coming back from a sister church of ours, an Arabic-speaking church north of the city. I'm going to be there again this afternoon. Some of you, please be praying. This afternoon, they're just going to be reaching out just to tons of Syrian refugees. And um, please be praying. Amazing things happening at that church. Um, But I was driving back from that church last night, and I decided to stop and get a workout in at a gym I sometimes stop at. And... I forgot my water bottle, so I didn't want to spend too much money in the gym, so I bought one water bottle, made it stretch the whole workout, but then I didn't have enough to drink, like at the end, and in the era of COVID-19, all the water fountains are closed, right, everywhere, so I could have just spent, by the way, it, it, the water bottles were a dollar, I could have, I could have spent a dollar, but you could also save a dollar, you know, so I thought, I thought, well, It's only like 35 minutes, 40 minutes home. And that drive home last night was terrible in preparation for this sermon because I was so thirsty, right? Uh, If you've ever experienced thirst like that, you know there was only one thing I was thinking about between leaving the gym and getting to my house. And it was my water bottle, which I had left sitting at home, right? And here's the thing about hunger and thirst. It is a behavior-altering experience. By that, I mean, if my thirst had been satisfied, um, I would have walked in the house and done certain things, maybe sat with Chelsea and the kids. They were watching a show. Guess which show they were watching? Shark Tank. And so, <laughs> so you had to be here last week. So I, say that. So I, could, have, I could have sat and, and watched that with them. I could have, I could have done... You know, we're going to see how many sermons I can go before I don't say Shark Tank <laughs> in a sermon. Okay. So, um, so I, I, I could have sat with them. I could have taken my time. But my thirst was behavior altering. In other words, thirst is not something that, if, that you know, just someone looking at me would have been able to discern except for my behavior. As soon as I came into the door, which there was no question what I was doing first when I walked in that door. I found my water bottle, and I drank a ton, right? It altered my behavior. It altered my priorities. 
It altered the things that I thought were most important and least important, right? Um, Because I was thirsty. That thirst needed satisfied. Now, I hope you see this tone in Psalm 42, something I want to point out, that spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst, when we talk about it, is an experience of aching. It's an ache that's within us. Thirst is a terrible thing to experience. Hunger is an uncomfortable thing for us to experience. It's an ache. I think this is important because sometimes I hear a spiritual hunger or thirst talked about as if it's equivalent to just enthusiasm about God. But I would say that's not exactly what the scriptures are presenting to us when they talk about hunger and thirst. They're not talking about just an experience of getting hyped up or being enthusiastic about God. They're talking about an ache in us that's like, I have to have God now. And it's going, that ache is going to alter my behavior. It's going to alter my priorities. It's going to alter the choices that I make because I have to have him now. When we equate spiritual hunger to just enthusiasm for God, I think, number one, we cheapen it. We kind of miss what's being talked about here in the scriptures. But then we also make it about pride and comparison. And here's why. Anytime we make our spirituality about what we have, Instead of what we don't have, our need for God, it turns into pride and comparison between us. Even surrounding good things. So I referenced this a few weeks ago. This is Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians. That if, if our definitions of spirituality, if the things that we celebrate are all about the spiritual gifts that we have, if it's all about the knowledge about God that we have, then we just make it about pride and comparison with each other. Um, instead of making it about what we don't have. And how God fills in that lack, right? So this can happen in conversations surrounding spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger is defined as enthusiasm about God. And I have it and you don't. Or I have more than you have it. Then it becomes a source of pride or comparison. I could never be as excited about God as that person is. I could never be as excited about God as the way that person is acting. But there's something about recognizing that spiritual hunger and thirst is an ache that just levels the playing field with all this. How can you be prideful about an ache? Um, How can you just compare an ache? It's about what we don't have, not about what we have, right? It makes room. So I want to say that at this point, like, if you're in here today or you're heading into this fast, you're heading into this season with an ache, Ache because of suffering. Ache because you know there has to be more. Ache because of what's missing. Ache because of weariness. You need to know that this is often a first sign of the kingdom of God breaking in and doing something. God stirs up this ache in us that alters our behavior, right? So that we reposition ourselves in a different way. So when we talk about spiritual hunger and thirst, I'm not just talking about enthusiasm and excitement. I'm talking about an ache. Now, it does have something to do with joy, but we'll get to that in a second. So, first of all, this ache is formed. Let's talk about where this ache is formed. This ache is formed in a place of pain. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? We don't know the particular kind of suffering that is the backdrop of Psalm 42, but we know that the author who wrote this is a person who is experiencing suffering. And it's the kind of suffering, 
like Jesus experienced, that's described in the book of Isaiah in the prophecy about him hundreds of years before he came, when it says that he was like one from whom people turned their faces. There's a kind of suffering that people go through, maybe you have gone through it, that people don't, around that suffering, like can't look at it. Because they don't, it makes them too uncomfortable. Their grief makes them too uncomfortable. It makes them question things about God's goodness. It makes them question things about themselves. There's a kind of suffering we can go through that causes the people around us to turn their face because it's just too hard to look at. And that's kind of what he's saying here in Psalm 42, that whatever kind of suffering he's going through is making people ask the question, where is your God? Where is he? What's going on? Something is wrong. Something's not working about your faith or about his promises or whatever. Something feels like it's not working. It's this difficult place. It's the kind of pain that causes isolation in the person. Um, I think we know, just from our life experiences, that suffering has a way of getting us in touch with our need for God. This is the awareness piece. The hard things we go through, and then the isolation that those hard things cause, those seasons of loneliness, those times of difficulty where God and other people feel far away, are times that cause an ache to rise in us, an awareness that we don't have it all together, that we don't have all the answers, that we don't have the energy, that we don't have fill in the blank. We get in touch with our need in the place of suffering. But we can also position ourselves in a place of need in relation to suffering, and I think there's a couple of ways that we can do this. So we don't have to, when it comes to spiritual hunger and thirst, there's no question that one of God's intentions in those hard times is to make us hungrier and thirstier for him. But we also don't just have to like wait for the next tragedy to hit us or something like that. We can also position ourselves in relation to suffering to let God's redemptive purposes and suffering create hunger and thirst in us. How? Let me just give you two ways. Number one, we can embrace spiritual practices that make us uncomfortable. And this is what fasting is. I, you know, sometimes, I, I think I did this too. If you've never fasted before and you're you know, eager to experience it, um, there can be kind of a romanticizing that we do before it. Or actually, I do it a little bit each year. I kind of forget what it was like the previous year. Afterwards, I remember that God spoke and all these cool things happened and we saw healings and dreams and visions happen, all this kind of stuff. But I kind of forget what it's actually like going into it, you know? So I have a tendency to romanticize fasting. I'm an optimist, too, so my personality probably factors into it. But I'm like, this is going to be great, you know? I was one of the people who woo-hooed down here when the fast was announced, right? It's like, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be, I imagine it as just unending, like, ecstasy with God. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to connect. We're going to... And then the fast starts, and I'm like, this just sucks. <laughs> it's, like, it's like fasting is just mostly me wanting things I cannot have, right? Um, at whatever level you're fasting, right? Whether you're just cutting out certain foods or you're cutting out social media or certain practices, whatever. You get into it, and it just kind of feels like there's this constant feeling of wanting something and not being able to have it. But this is part of the point. As one theologian says, in fasting, we starve our cravings 
so that we get hungry for God. See, this is the positioning part. We can position ourselves in a place where our awareness of our need grows. Um, you know, I tend to like fill my schedule and, and move at like a breakneck speed. It's kind of my personality. And this is another thing I always miscalculate in fasting. The way that fasting for 21 days is going to make me slow down. So I don't, I typically, I, it's like I never remember. Like I don't adjust my schedule at all, right? And then like a week into the fast, I'm like, I don't have the energy for this. I can't do that. I have to sleep like twice as long. You know what I mean? When I'm fasting. But we embrace this process. We embrace this discipline together so that we get in touch with our needs for him. So that our walk with Jesus isn't about all the things we have and how sufficient we are, but how weak we are, how in need of him we are. And fasting is one of the things that we do together so that we get in touch with the thing that God's doing. It's positioning. But here's something else you can do that's related. You can also position yourself in proximity to other people's pain as a way of letting pain form hunger and thirst in you. You can choose to be one of the people who does not turn their face away from uncomfortable pain that's happening in the person sitting next to you or happening in your community or happening... And, and this is where I think even when we talk about discipleship and growing in Jesus, and many of you are discipling people, many of you are leading people, I think we have to be careful not to disciple people in a way that makes it seem like following Jesus is just getting the next fix of enthusiasm for God, right? Um, and, we, and we can feed into this because we want people, excitement for God is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's just that every time we baptize someone here at the gospel tab, I try, it's funny, as the years go on, I try to tell the new believers, I know you're all excited right now, but it's going to get real hard. <laughs> um, and here's the thing, I'm not prophesying over them, like, just like suffering or something. That's what I'm saying. We, as a matter of fact, we take time in baptism to break things off of people and pray that stuff off. What I'm saying is, your emotions are not going to sustain, even if nothing changes around you, your emotions are not going to sustain that level of excitement in an unending way as you start your journey with Jesus, you know? And normally the excitement is so high at baptism, it doesn't matter how much I say it, the person doesn't remember it, and then they hit their first point. But here's why we can't make discipleship of people just these fixes of enthusiasm, because too many of us were out there looking for a fix before we met Jesus. We were looking for that next sexual encounter. We were looking for that that the next time we use drugs, we were looking for that next success. We were looking for that next place of significance. And we can't turn Jesus into our drug, like a better drug, so that our enthusiasm stays at a level that's, that's not what following Jesus. He's not a drug. He's a person. And he's such a real person. He wants to be with you even when you don't have a high but you have a low. He wants to be with you there. And so discipling people isn't just about keeping them hyped up. It's actually about leaning into their aches with them. It's actually about leaning into the thirst, leaning into them. I would go even a step further. It's why we're doing a fast together. It's even creating the conditions of hunger and thirst and making sure that we don't cut off the opportunities for people to hunger and thirst just because it's uncomfortable. That discomfort does something in us. Here's just like a practical example of how I see this like playing out in churches and in Christian life. Like, 
Short-term mission trips. How many of you have ever been on a short-term mission trip? Okay, gone somewhere domestically or globally. Yeah, wonderful experiences. Um, you know, Chelsea and I went to Belgrade, Florida, a place I'm still connected to 20 years later. We went there when we were in high school together. God met us there, called us. But here's a bad use of short-term mission trips. It's to make it just about getting the next hype, hyped up experience with God. Just making it about like enthusiasm with God. Because we all know, don't we, that the enthusiasm rarely hits the levels we would hope it does on the trip, right? If the trip is worth anything. Probably, you're not going to hit that low. And then, like you might hit a high afterwards for a little bit, but it's not going to last forever. Here's one, of the, and here's one of the best things we can use short-term mission trips for, is to put our lives proximate to other people's pain. Not to just get a next fix of enthusiasm, but to get a next experience of hunger, of thirst. To, lay, to not look away, to lay our eyes on other people's suffering and not use their suffering to prop ourselves up or to make ourselves a little bit. All of that is using people's suffering so we can get to the next fix. That's not the right thing. One of the reasons I've stayed, I went on a short-term mission trip to Belgrade, Florida 20 years ago. One of the reasons I go back is because when I sit on those streets, which I will do when I go down, and read the scriptures and see the injustices around me and see the poverty around me and recognize that I don't have answers, that I don't know how to fix this, that I don't know what to do, that creates hunger and thirst in me for the things that God can do. I've often said, I hear God better in poor communities, and that's why. It's just about being proximate to people's pain, right? Um, so we can move our lives near other people's pain. But hunger and thirst isn't only about pain. There's actually another kind of aching that can happen in the place of joy. So ache, this ache for God, is formed in the place of pain, but it's also formed in the place of joy. Look at what the author says here in Psalm 42.4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, and now he's in his memories, how I used to go to the house of God, the temple, under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He's remembering a crowd of people showing up at the temple with shouts of joy. Maybe it was one of the festivals in the Jewish calendar, but he remembers this high point of experiencing God with other people. He's remembering a time. It's not what he's experiencing now, and the two are related, but he's remembering a time when God and other people felt near. And that's why he's experiencing the ache now, because God and other people are feeling far. Have you ever thought that in every experience of joy that we experience are actually the seeds of aching in the future? Because those experiences of joy will probably not sustain in an unbroken, unbroken chain. Yesterday, uh, we just had to get out of the house. We're at that point on Christmas vacation. Anybody else there? Like, and so we went, where do you go in Western PA when you have to get out of the house? I Ikea, actually. We went to Ikea. <laughs> yep. You just go, find a place to walk around. And so, um, so we went yesterday, and we were sitting there over lunch. And this time last year, uh, me and my family were on sabbatical, um, we were coming back from, from Florida, having had a great time together. And the five of us just started to share memories, you know, with each other. And our youngest, Isla, who's only four, you know, it'll be interesting to see as she gets older, 
what she does and doesn't remember from that whole trip. You know, she was three years old on that trip. But I was surprised at the things she was telling us, you know, the things that she was remembering about the trip. And at one point while she was sharing a memory, um, the reaction that came out of my mouth was, oh, now why did I kind of respond that way? Well, because I was actually feeling some ache because that memory is so good that I wish it could happen again. That memory is so good, it's not quite what's happening, like, it's not quite what is happening now. Like, what's happening now is great, but we're sitting in Ikea on a dreary Western PA day. These are memories about Florida, right? They're not exactly equal. And, and so, like, what's happening today isn't exactly what happened back then, but I'm also hopeful that things like this can happen again, Right? Um, that memories can happen again as a family, that we can connect deeper again, right, as a family. And this is what this person, Psalm 42, this is what their history with God is like. It's like, oh, there were great times, times filled with joy, times at the temple where we shouted and praised and danced and we just knew God was with us. We just knew God was for us. Faith was high. It felt like God was fighting for us. How many of you have had those experiences, right, in worship and church? We have those experiences. Um, but today isn't feeling like that. And so what does that mean? Does it mean that that wasn't real? No, what it means is it makes me long for more of the good thing that I experienced back then. Um, some of you, and, and the good news is with God, there is always more to have, um, so the good things that we experienced with God back then are just letting us know that there's more of that to experience with him in the future, actually for all of eternity. Some of you were here for launch this last fall, this couple-day little mini-conference that, that we hold together on mission. And I shared one night during launch, I was reflecting on what really drove the disciples in Acts chapter 2 to pray and fast and cry out to God for multiple days on end until the Holy Spirit fell on them. I think part of that equation was the pain that they were experiencing. Uh, they knew that there were a lot of needs in the world, that this gospel needed to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, and they were aware of their need, and so they positioned themselves in prayer. They got hungry and thirsty to receive what God was giving in the place of that ache. But I think there was another kind of ache that was coming out of their experience of joy, and it was just this, that they had been with Jesus. And it had been so good. And they were looking back on those years with him, and now Jesus had ascended to the Father and promised the Holy Spirit. And it was their good, not just their pain and their suffering, but their good experiences with Jesus that made them think, we're going to wait in this room until his Spirit comes. We're hungry and thirsty for him because we have to have more of him, more of this goodness. So there's an aching that comes out of our suffering. There's also an aching that comes out of our joy. Um, here's how we can position ourselves in joy. Um, if, if you're not feeling it today, you can position yourselves around people who have testimonies of God's goodness. You can, test, you can position yourselves around people who are walking in the joy of the Lord. Now, this might, this might, what I'm about to say, might be more of a Western Pennsylvania thing. I don't know, but let me just make an observation. At least in Western Pennsylvania, but maybe other places as well, joy is a scandalous thing because we just don't believe it when we see it in other people. 
Like, we see someone who's overflowing with joy, and we think, do you know what the weather is like today? Do you know that the steel mills left? Do you know that, like, there's just this cynicism in us, but here's what we can do. Here's what we can do with our cynicism, cynicism, wow, to position ourselves. We can take our cynicism into environments of other people's joy, of the testimonies that they have of God's goodness, of the times that they saw God show up, and we can dare to believe with them, even though we feel cynical today, that there's more for us in the future, but that will often feel like an ache because hunger and thirst are aches that we feel. And so what do we do with all that aching? Well, I've kind of already said it. We position it in prayer. Aching is the awareness part. I'm thirsty because I don't have water. I'm hungry because I don't have food. Awareness of our need is the first part of spiritual hunger and thirst. But then we can position ourselves with that aching in God's presence. And later on, that happens in Psalm 42, verse 8. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I love the way this verse is worded because the part of prayer that is God speaking goes first. By day, the Lord directs his love. In the midst of my aching, in the midst of my pain, whether the ache came from pain or joy or both, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. We position that aching in prayer in his presence. Friends, can I just, as we go into a fast, can I just tell you something that just honestly the truth? I meet a lot of Christian leaders, and sometimes I stand in front of churches that I can just tell don't pray. They just don't. And I think we've probably all been there. But you can just tell it's not a priority. It's not what they're doing with the aches that they feel there's just a depth that people have. They, without even talking, I'm not saying I know that they pray because they talk about it. I'm just saying there's a depth in their soul because they've positioned that aching, that discomfort in God's presence. I don't know anybody who's been truly used by God who doesn't have this, what is being said here in Psalm 42.8, the positioning of aching in God's presence the positioning of aching with him, of, of experiencing suffering and taking that to God's presence, that ache of seeing suffering in someone else and taking that to God's presence, of seeing pain in the world and taking it to God's presence, of having experienced God on that mission trip 10 years ago and wanting to see more of God and taking that to God's presence. I, I don't know anyone who's really used by God who doesn't have that experience, I do want you to know on kind of the eve of our fast together that there are no shortcuts to this part. We are a church that believes you can get zapped by Jesus. And some of you have. And praise God for that. I love it when God comes in and does that. But even that zapping is not a shortcut for this. Even those big experiences are not a shortcut for just the day-to-day -day taking our aches to God, our longings to him, our desires to him again and again. Um, let me give you an example for me of how this has, has played out. 
here at the gospel tab. Oh, I'm, I'm over. Okay, I'll finish here in a minute. Um, praise God. This is, my, this is literally the first time I looked at the clock. Okay. Um, let, me, let me just give you an, an example. Um, let me just talk for a minute. If I can just be vulnerable for a minute and talk to you about like, what it's looked like for me to pray for the gospel tab, for me to pray for all of you. I was in here early this morning thinking about this, that a lot of what that has looked like is taking aches from this family to God. Knowing where you've been hurt and taking that to God, just taking that into his presence and believing that he's directing his love toward it. There's things I don't understand. Not turning my face away from it, right? But taking that ache to God. Um, I was thinking about how long it felt like I prayed in this room and just really hoped that God would show up in our services that were starting in a few hours, you know? And just really longed to see God work at, among us. And it just felt like bringing this ache that there has to be more than this. There has to be more that God wants to do. There has to be, right? It just felt like bringing those aches to God again and again and again, as we all did, just chipped away at the things that were set against us, Right? as a church family, but it wasn't all pain. It wasn't all bad. It was also the joy. I, I had had experiences with God that I was like, I want my brothers and sisters to have that. I remember going up to the temple with shouts of joy. I remember experiencing God in these ways, and this isn't just for me. This is for everybody. I want other people to bring that ache, right, to God. Um, or just even in our history, how this church was birthed out of revival, how Many of the oldest members of our church really became part of the gospel tab because they had experienced healing in a regular healing service that we had on Sunday nights down on Irwin Street. That caused, that experience of joy, even though I wasn't there for it, but remembering how God had showed up in our church family created an ache in me that was like, God, do this again. Surely you are not done with this yet. So what are you aching about today? Going into this fast, what are you aching for? Um, I want to tell you, I've had, I've had uh, Kiara and I were just talking about this recently. I've had people come to me and be like, man, some of what happened here at the Gospel Tab, some of the stories we hear of healings and salvations, we want to experience those things too. I ache for that for you. I don't want you to be part of the Gospel Tab and just have secondhand stories of healing. I don't want you to be part of the gospel tab and just have secondhand stories of salvation. Please, please don't live your Christian life off of our stories. God has stories for you as well. But if you're feeling that ache rise up in you that's like, I don't need Joel's stories, I don't need Steve's stories, I need God, because that is what you need, by the way, isn't us but God. So it's like, if that ache is rising up in you that's like, I need God, I want you to know, there are, you, there are no shortcuts to this part of just taking that ache to him, of seeking his face, of taking that pain to him, of taking the ache that comes from joy to him again and again and again until he moves. I've repeated this so many times. Christine Weber said this in one of our leadership team meetings a few years ago. There's something in the heart of revival. She didn't word it this way, but there's something in the heart of revival that's an ache, and this is how she worded it. Lord Jesus do not pass us by. 
That's an ache that's in the heart of every believer, every church that wants revival. Do not pass us by. There's an ache for you, Jesus. There's an ache to see you move. There's an ache to see you do something. Bring that to him again and again and again. And if we feel the ache of physical hunger over the next few weeks, it's just a reminder that there are deeper aches in us, even beyond words, that God is pleased to direct his love toward, right? Because have you thought about this? And I'll close with this. Aching, that is hunger and thirst, can be either bad news or good news, depending on what happens with it. And the issue has to do with fulfillment. Thirst that doesn't get filled is categorically bad news. As a matter of fact, it is death. All around the world today, there are people who do not have enough clean water to drink. That kind of thirst is bad news. Every time, it's bad news for people who experience it. It is urgent, it is crisis, and it will mean death, right? But for thirst that has the possibility of fulfillment, that is, for thirst that has hope attached to it, thirst is good news because it's just leading us to the source of fulfillment. It's just taking us to the one. And here's, here's why there is good news for our aches today. There's good news for our hunger and our thirst. It's because Jesus, who was God in the flesh, hung on a cross, bleeding and dying for you and for me. And from that place, he said, I thirst. And his thirst was not satisfied on the cross. He was given vinegar to drink. At the time when he was most thirsty, when he needed water to drink, his thirst was not fulfilled. Why? So that for all eternity, our thirst would be fulfilled. So that for all eternity, our thirsting means that there's water. Our thirsting means that there's fulfillment. So for all eternity, our aches mean that there's a God who is directing his love toward our need as we position ourselves to receive what he has. Let's pray. God, I don't know how fully to describe this, and maybe I have felt it um, before on this particular Sunday before we start fasting, the week before the fast. Um, But I feel the stillness that comes before a people humble themselves to seek you. God, in the next few weeks, we're going to get in touch with our aching. We're going to get in touch with the things we hunger for, the things we thirst for. We're going to become aware. But God, would you also give us grace to position ourselves? Because you are directing your love toward us, toward every ache that comes from pain and suffering in or around us, to every ache that comes from joy in and around us. God, these are only the places where you are meeting us with good news. So God, I actually want to pray this week, leading up to the fast, and as we get into these three weeks, that you would actually expand our aching. That would be such a grace. If you expanded our hunger, if you expanded our thirst, I'm not just asking you to expand our enthusiasm. I'm asking that you would expand our hungering, our thirsting, our discomfort, our longing. 
God, the places that we're sometimes afraid to go for fear that we'll be left wanting, that we'll be left hungry, we'll be left thirsty. But God, we thank you that with you, we will never be left hungry. We will never be left thirsty. So we can allow ourselves to feel that ache. We can allow ourselves to feel that because we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth, your love directed toward us. So God, take us low. Humble us in these next few weeks. God, make us a church that's not about what we have, but about what we don't. (laughs) Make us a people that aren't boasting in what we have, but boast in our weakness. Boast in what we don't have. Because we know that we have a God who who meets us in those places, who fills us in those places. So God, we thank you that you're going to meet us you give water to the thirsty. You give food to the hungry. This is who you are. And so, God, we can pursue you in this way, and we can meet you in this way as you pursue us. In Jesus' name, amen.